The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 151. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position heroes. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panel I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 10th Doctor story, Turn Left. And joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy there, Dom. Uh, Father Corey can't be with us again. He has all those uh, pastor responsibilities <laughs> he has to take care of. Um, Monday is supposedly his day off, but apparently... Other people think that's a good time to schedule them for things. So uh, we we do miss you, Father Corey, but uh, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna move on because we can't we cannot miss a week of Doctor Who. Yeah, because time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the past. <laughs> except maybe on this show. Yes, yeah, like sometimes it slips sideways. <laughs> so uh, that it's bef- actually sideways in time. That's great. That's Murray Leinster. He introduced the he introduced parallel universe fiction. Excellent. He was also Catholic. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But that's a topic for another but show, I guess. Sideways in Time was one of his things. Awesome. Uh, so I want to, before we get into it, if you are not yet a subscriber to the, to the show, if you're listening to some other, some other fashion, please be sure to subscribe to The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on the SQPN YouTube channel, where if you do, make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. Uh, we have more and more subscribers on YouTube, and we're glad to have you there. Uh, it's just another place to get the show. All right, so uh, Turn Left is, uh, what What do you want to say that's the penultimate story? Don, yeah, for Donna Noble's regular adventures with the Doctor. Right. After this episode, there'll be a two-part season finale, sort of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like With Doctor Who, it's kind of wibbly-wobbly, because there's also a bunch of specials after that that were that were dispersed you know, over months. Mm-hmm. And then the regeneration. Yeah, but this is the penultimate story of season four. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way of of putting it. Uh, It aired in June of 2008, so that's where we are about in in our time. Uh, And this is um, a Doctor Separation story, or a Doctor Light story, really. Yeah. This is the story that they were filming concurrently while uh, David Tennant was making Midnight, the the one we just talked about. Uh, they, They were sort of filming them. Semi concurrently for time, I guess for time reasons. I'm not sure why. Um, yeah, to make the schedule, and yeah. uh, so that one had f- a focus on the Doctor with very little Donna. This one has a focus on Donna with very little Doctor. And the the theme of this one is very much a sort of it's the classic question that It's a Wonderful Life and other things ask is what if I'd what if I'd never been born? What if I'd made a different choice? What if I'd in this case turned left instead of right? I mean, that's sort of a classic question. You know, what if you turned left instead of right at some point in your life? And an innocuous decision that changed everything. And that's yeah. really what we're dealing with here. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting 
interesting question. And to you know, to kind of preview, my, I like it. There, I mean, this mm-hmm. episode has its issues, but I really enjoyed this one. And I think uh, I think Donna Noble really comes into her own in this, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, I like this one too. I find it a little frustrating because. So, I, as I mentioned, the most recent stories we've seen, Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead, and Midnight, are ones that I use as introductory episodes for people to Doctor Who, those together with Blink. And this one, I'm tempted to use as an introductory episode because about, I don't know, two-thirds of it would work for that purpose. It's very emotionally effective. But Mm -hmm. at the very beginning and the very end, it presupposes a bunch of knowledge that is important for the impactfulness of it. In the opening sort of third of the episode, I mean, the opening scene doesn't count. You don't have to know who the Doctor and Donna are, really. I could explain that to someone in a couple of minutes, and they get the opening scene. They're just on this Chinese planet, and Donna has her fortune told. That's all you need to know. But then we see what would have happened if Donna had not met the Doctor. And we see all of these, the flip side of all of these adventures where the Doctor didn't end up saving people because Donna wasn't with him. And in order for those, the emotions of those to fully land, you need to have seen those previous episodes. Right. And then, then again, in the very last scene at the end where we have Bad Wolf, you need to have seen season one for the importance of Bad Wolf to emotionally hit you. Right. So a lot of this could work as an introductory episode, you know, as Don is dealing with the fallout of all the time changes, but it just doesn't quite work. So I find it a little frustrating in that regard, not because I don't enjoy it. I enjoy it very much, but because I can't then say, hey, we just watched Midnight. Now let's watch this episode. Right, you have to, you have to. They have to go back and at least watch the beginning of this season, if not, go back and watch, you know, everything. But at least they'd have to watch the events from. Actually, you'd have to watch the uh, Christmas episode right. after the first season, and then this season. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, just as a general rule, I'm uncomfortable a little bit with uh, stories that are, they're frustrating to me, where they've changed something. Like we go back and we change a little thing. And you know what's supposed to happen, and they're not doing the thing that already happened. Like, don't ch- go back and change things on my, on me. Don't edit the past. You know, it, it, I don't know. It's, I have a little frustration with with um, too many too many uh, series do this badly. Hmm. I'm thinking like uh, the Flash, where they have like the the Flash goes into the future or the past and changes the future, and now everything is different. And you're like, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I we, I know it. The viewers all know it. But nobody in the story knows it, and it's just, uh, it, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I'm saying that well, but 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 I, I, I have, it's a time travel thing I have. I, I understand that perspective, but as a comic book fan who personally survived the <laughs> crisis on Infinite Earths, I'm used to reboots. Yeah. So I just take the current story for what it is and enjoy it. And, and yes, that other continuity that I liked is still out there somewhere in hypertime. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why I've I've always had trouble getting into comic books. I wanted to, but I just never could. Uh, so the you mentioned that the that's the this episode starts in an on an alien planet in its in its Chinatown or or maybe the it's a planet colonized by the Chinese, but it really had so, sort of like Chinatown. 
Yeah, like it. Like, well, yeah, it had a little Firefly feel to it. Um, but it has a sort of Americanized Chinese culture feel, like you see in mm-hmm. uh, in a in like a, a big city, American city, Chinatown. Uh, I, I'm not sure what that was, but maybe the the architecture well, plus the Chinese. It, that could be the architecture because of where they were filming in England, but then. Yeah. Also, um, they're clearly in a market, and it's not just an ordinary market. It's a market that's catering to tourists. Yeah. Um, so it's clearly a location where tourists come because the 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 street vendors are interacting with not are interacting with the doctor and Donna, not the way you interact with a, a fellow person of your own culture, but the right. way you interact with tourists. Yes. Uh, in fact, Donna encounters. She's kind of separate from the doctor for for a, for a second. And she encounters this fortune teller, um, and of course, you probably recognize the actress who played the fortune teller right off the bat. Um, Actually, I, I didn't. Oh, this is the her name is Chipo Chung, mm-hmm. and you will have seen her it, when when I heard her speak. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is Chan Do from oh, the uh, yeah. the episode Utopia. So it's the same actress, and she had the same uh, voice. Uh, mm-hmm. So was, I'm like, listen, going, oh, what is who is that? And, well, yeah, she was and, familiar. I just didn't spot exactly who she was and didn't look it up. Yeah, well, she didn't have all that makeup on yeah. from that one. Uh, but the, in this case, she's a sinister fortune teller, and she brings in Donna, and she sort of has a strange insistence on finding the key moment in Donna's life when one decision changed everything. Um, and then she sort of talks to Donna, who's kind of feeling woozy from, I don't know, the incense or something else that's going on, uh, about the changing telepathic her... time beetle, right? She's she so she's talking about changing her past decisions while a big time beetle, this thing is massive, it's like the size of a backpack, climbs up on her back. Um, and then I, I I like some of the fortune teller's dialogue. You know, she sits Donna down and says, "Tell me about your past," and Donna says, "Shouldn't you tell me?" You know, which is a classic <laughs> right. turnaround for a psychic. Yes, um, and I see the future. Tell me the past. <laughs> yes, and uh, that that was a good. Uh, uh, she's a good con artist <laughs> because there there is something going on here. And Donna starts having these flashbacks of this moment in her car with her mother. Uh, we on the first day she's going to work at that uh, corporation. Yeah, as a temp. As a temp, the the one where she eventually meets the doctor. It's like six months before, so that was that Christmas episode, and so about the Runaway Bride. And so it was about six months before that, and this is the day she's going to go start there as a temp, and her mother's trying to convince her to go for this other job. So if she turns left to go into the city, she's going to that temp job where she'll meet the doctor. If she turns right, she goes to this other job. In a copy shop. In a copy shop, as a personal assistant, where she'll... Like, what she'll, What Xerox shop has personal assistants? <laughs> this must have been a big... Uh, well, really I big one. He, if he was selling uh, equipment too, I don't know. It was gonna, mm, that could it, be, but yeah. still, the printer companies, yeah, they they, they tend to have a shady reputation. These copy uh, the copy salesmen. I uh, anyway, a lot of the ones I always dealt with were were kind of shady. So it's kind of hmm. uh, funny that they have uh, th- this sort of shady sort of operations where Donna ends up. So then we she decides in this is we we think at first it's a memory, but maybe but it turns out maybe it's the actual event. She turns right instead of going left, and she so she doesn't meet the doctor, and of course that raises questions: Is it an alternate timeline? Uh, is it branching time? Uh, I think in Doctor Who, it's generally 
it's not branching timelines, right? Well, it sort of is. They don't use that terminology, but this is the, the we're clear by the end of the episode when the doctor explains it to her that this is a real timeline that she yeah. was in. It's an aborted timeline now, but this is not a hallucination she's having. It's not all happening in her head. The 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 time beetle found a, a nexus moment in her life and reality changed around her creating her, a different parallel universe. This is one of the things that make this the, this episode better on a second viewing than on the first. Because mm-hmm. on the first, I think I kind of assumed this was all just uh, an illusion, and so it mm-hmm. lessened some of the emotional impact. Yeah, but w- it watching watching it again, it I I knew that no, this is real, and she's experiencing it. The trouble is they can't explain it to us up front that this is all now real. Yeah. Um, because if they explain there's no one to explain it. The doctor is out of the picture. The whole point is not meeting him. And Doc, Donna doesn't have a knowledge of what's happening. And they need to keep the time beetle a mystery for right. most of the episode. They do a typical slow monster reveal. And part of the mystery is Donna can't know what is even happening to her. And so there's nobody to explain this is a branching timeline until the end. Right, right. So that's the that's the obstacle they've created for themselves. So the uh we 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 kind of fast forward in time to that Christmas of the runaway bride, that time when the doctor meets the Rachnos. Uh but then of course Donna's not there and uh she's at the pub with her girlfriends and one of them keeps looking over Donna's shoulder and this happens to a couple people throughout the episode where it's like Donna's like, what are you looking at? What what are you looking over my shoulder for? And they, they're they seeing something, but I think they're kind of, it's almost like a, uh, what is that uh, field? Perception doctor? filter. Perception filter, yeah. So it's like the sort of this perception filter where people think there's, they, they, they have this feeling that something's there that they should be seeing, but they're not seeing it. I have to note that playing in the background, the music in the background in the pub is um, Merry Christmas, Everybody by Slade, mm-hmm. which is the same song. That will be playing in the Christmas episode with the Twelfth Doctor and Clara on the moon with the facehuggers, oh. where the where uh, the one young woman has to go into the room while not thinking about the facehuggers, so she has to mm-hmm. listen to the music and dance with her, you know, eyes closed, whatever. Um, it's the same song. So I just yeah. have to point that out. They seem to use a lot of contemporary uh, British pop Christmas music in these Christmas episodes. Yes, and they they come back to this a lot. I have to I have to note that, that this song comes up a lot in Doctor Who. Uh, somebody really likes it. So um, they, hear, they hear this explosion outside. It's that big Christmas star. Remember, the, uh, they think it's the Christmas star of the Rachnos, and it turns out it's the big spider web that was in orbit uh, that nobody had seen for thousands of years, and <laughs> however long it was there. But this time, the army tanks uh, shoot it out of the sky. After it attacks and kills lots of people. Right, right. And uh, Donna runs toward it, uh, as opposed to away, and then she comes to where Unit is in, you know, in the cleanup phase, there's a unit soldier standing there. I don't know if you noticed, it's the same unit soldier from the Sontaran stratagem, the one who got taken over by the Sontarans, got zombified. Uh, mm-hmm. Same same actor, which is a lot of fun. And uh, she hears him talking about how the doctor was killed in the flood under the Thames. Uh, and we'll find out later, it's because Donna wasn't there to, right, to, because to in, save the doctor. In the, in the original episode, she pulled him back from going further than uh, with his dealing with the Rachnos and said, okay, you've done enough. And he he ended up pulling back, but she wasn't there to pull him back this time. So he kept going in this timeline and it resulted in his death. And it happened, as the unit soldier says, too fast for him to regenerate. 
Right, right. So he's on a stretcher. We don't see him. He's covered in a sheet, but his arm falls out and drops the sonic screwdriver. Right. And that's when we see Rose Tyler, of all people, come running Rose, past, yay. <laughs> past Donna. Um, and uh, Donna's the one who tells Rose that he's dead. And then Rose disappears. Like uh, yeah. you know, They have a little bit of, a, of an exchange, and Rose disappears. Yeah. And incidentally, Rose never reveals her name to anybody in this right. episode, not even to other like unit people. They don't know who she is, and she's deliberately being coy about it. And eventually she explains it's because she's afraid of upsetting the web of time if she gives too much information. Right. Uh, then we have, uh, uh, we move a little forward in time, and now it's that day that the uh, Royal Hospital was abducted by the J- Jadun, uh, taken mm-hmm. to the moon. And then this, this timeline. Donna's being sacked. Uh, right. Donna. All, while all this is on the TV in the background, Donna is uh, is being fired from her job. Uh, but we do find out that uh, Martha Jones died in the, Save, in the saving a guy. Yep, and uh, also that Sarah Jean Smith and her teen companions died too. Yeah, yeah, uh, they were up on the moon. Apparently, they did save the day, but at the price of all their lives. Right, uh, which is you know a little shocking to, to see that. Uh, not the not the first Doctor Who spinoff that we'll we'll get a connection to in this episode. Right. Um, well, they're basically eliminating, and this is going to come back in the two parter that we go into next. Um, the Doctor's secret army, all yes. the people that he's influenced that can handle things when he's not around. Sarah Jane, Unit, Martha, they're all falling because the Doctor is not here in this episode. So right. his secret army ends up all dying. All these people who will be very important for the season finale two-parter. By the way, I like the reason that Donna is being sacked. It's because as a result of the Christmas Star episode, since it was much more destructive in this timeline, the Thames is still closed off, and her copy shop boss's accounts are primarily on the other side of the Thames, so their business has taken a huge hit. Yeah. I I like how as Donna's leaving... She is like she's like carpet bombing the office. Like uh, that guy doesn't do anything around here. She's a, a liar, and she stole money out of the uh, petty cash. Yeah, <laughs> like she, she totally <laughs> destroys the place as she goes, uh, which is uh, a lot of fun. Um, now, the sad thing is, is so you know, it, as Don is home, she talked to her mom and Wilf, her her dad, her granddad is there. Uh, Donna's mom tells her that she's basically given up on her. Like you know what, I've just given up on you. You're you're not gonna make anything of yourself, and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And it's kind of sad. It is. This episode is really interesting in terms of Donna's mom, because we have this unsupportive, unsympathetic mother trope in New Who. Yes. And Donna's mom is clearly a manifestation of that. She often comes across as peevish and harping, not in a shrieky way, but in a lower key way. Um, and But then there are moments where she's kind of redeemed. And this episode has some of both of that. Um, they and I understand they need to they they need to play it negative on balance because they need to push Donna to the brink of despair in right. this episode. That's part of Donna's emotional arc. She needs to hit bottom so that she can then rally and do what's necessary to save everybody. And so I understand that from a writing perspective. But I like the fact that there are moments in this episode where mom is not just a monster, where we get to feel sympathetic for her and where she 
it has a lighter side, like where she joins in with the sing-along with the Italian family. <laughs> right. And so I, I wish we got to see more of that positive side of mom. Yeah. Here. That's true. Yes. So what happens next is that Donna, you know, kind of leaves the house to get some fresh air because she's so upset. Um, she runs into Rose on the street. Rose comes running out of an alleyway after some flashes of light and a loud noise. <laughs> running out super fast and speeded up opposite of slow motion. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, they have a conversation which basically boils down to Rose warns Donna to get out of London next Christmas. We're months away from Christmas, but she warns her to get out of London for Christmas and um, use the raffle ticket that she has because it's a winner. She she tells her that, that, that Donna has a raffle ticket and it's a winner. So she should use that to get out of town. Yeah. She she mysteriously found this raffle ticket in the box of stuff she brought home from work. And she didn't know why it was there because she didn't put it there. And the implication right. seems to be that Rose slipped it in there. Yeah. Uh, and so Donna wins a, a, a vacation at this posh inn in the country uh, next Christmas. Um, the the maid comes in with breakfast and says, starts saying something to in Spanish yeah. to Donna. She's, she, she's talking about uh, Donna's back. Yeah, you have Spanish. something on your back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's and Donna, you know, in the midst of this, starts to notice that there see the time beetle. She starts to see it in the mirror and starts freaking out. But then she's distracted because her mom and Wilf call her in back into the room from the bathroom. Uh, because this is this Christmas where. The space liner, liner Titanic is crashing into London, and this time again, the dark. It's not a near miss. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> this is a direct hit. And they see, um, they see London go up. You know, they run out outside, and they see London in you know with a uh, mushroom cloud over it, mm -hmm. and, uh, and 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 we see the the maid pointing at Donna, like like point like you are something evil or something. I don't know, like. Yeah, the maid is focused on Donna while everyone else is focusing on the fact London's just been destroyed. Right. I like how in this scene, Donna is kind of in denial about, right, about this. And and this is a moment where mom has a more sympathetic moment because mom is the one who's realizing every single person we know is dead. Yeah. And that emotionally lands on mom, but Donna can't accept that yet, can't face it. Yeah, there's this, this interesting moment later on, you know, the, it, which is presumably months later, where uh, the, the, it, it, apparently Donna and her mom have this thing where they'll mention somebody, you know, mm -hmm. like someone that they knew, and like, well, maybe they got out. Oh no, they would have been at such and such, so they're dead. You know, that there's a sort of um, post nine eleven sort of thing for like mm -hmm. New Yorkers yeah. or or people who you know had like. I wonder if so and so. No, no, they would have been in it. You know that sort of wow, like that 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 sort of thing. So, I, and I do like how Donna at, at every one of these events says her first thing she says is, "I don't believe it." Like I don't believe what I'm seeing. I don't believe the evidence of my eyes. Uh, and it Which shows could could be incident evidence of a suppressed memory of another timeline. Oh, it could be. I was thinking it was also kind of showing how much Donna has changed. She's mm -hmm. gone from someone who instinctively is like. Like most people, like Doctor Who kind of has this, this trope where, you know, most people will see this alien event and say, well, I don't believe it. I don't believe the evidence of my eyes that such things don't exist and move on. Whereas eventually the doctor's companions begin to be able to see. They see the, the reality around them of mm -hmm. the things that are, that are present. Uh, I think that's a, that's a huge element in 
at least modern who, at least new who, this idea of there are some people, the friends of the doctor, who see reality as it is, mm-hmm. as it truly is, which is kind of an interesting idea. Um, so we move we move forward to uh, Britain is now dealing with the fact that London has been destroyed. Lots of southern England has been irradiated. Seven million yeah. people are dead. Presumably and, the royal family is dead and all of oh, the yeah. government. Oh, not yeah. presumably. They, right. There is an emergency government in power and nobody has the vote. Yes. So this is reminiscent for me of the uh, of the Inferno timeline where right. the royal family was shot and you had this Republican government in charge that became that was fascistic. Right. And that's what starts happening here. You have the royal family is gone suggesting that the royal family plays a stabilizing role and a humanizing role in mm. British culture. Interesting. And uh, they're gone, so there's an emergency government. They're trying to place refugees in different places. For some reason, Donna is aghast at the thought of being placed in Leeds. It's like she <laughs> wants to go anywhere else, even Glasgow. <laughs> yeah. This is maybe something in British culture that I just am unaware of, but what's the problem with Leeds? Yeah, or maybe maybe for maybe it's a Donna problem. Yeah, and and they're thinking, oh, the Americans will save us. They're going to send us all this money, and then the doctor's not there to solve the adipose crisis, and all those fat Americans get adiposed. Right. Well, and that's an interesting point because uh, because what happened to Britain? There aren't a whole lot of fat Brit- Britons, and there's no you know there's no yeah, London. Well, uh, there aren't. Well, these days there are, but no, I, I mean, mean in the in that alternate timeline. Uh, with mm-hmm. uh, where Donna is because there's food shortages and people oh, are starving. Okay. Yeah, there's not a lot of fat there, and mm. so they have to. The, the, uh, evidently, the mistress there decided to, to take on America. So that adipose and, and end up killing 16 million Americans. Meanwhile, Donna and and 60, Sylvia I and oh, was it 60? Oh, I, maybe mm-hmm. I misheard. Uh, which is even worse. Uh, so Donna and Wilf and Sylvia have been, you know. They're they're refugees living in this house with this big Italian. In fact, I think he says this big Italian family, huge Italian family. There's like seven people in this one house, and they have to sleep in the kitchen. This is oh, their room. Yeah, it's more than that. Um, it's you've got the the guy rattles through. We got this one family upstairs, and then I'm here with my sister and her kids and their kids, and mom is in this room because she's old. I hope you understand. And you get right. the kitchen. The the Italian uh, father that of this family, Rocco is irrepressibly optimistic. I really I know, like him. <laughs> I love him. He is awesome. He, yes. he is just great. No matter what happens, he is like, put on a happy face. We're going to get through this. I'm going to support. Yeah. I'm the cheerleader for the group. I'm going to get everybody through this. Yes. Even as he's being taken off to a death camp. Right. He's trying uh, to stay positive. I want to talk about that because that's a very big moment in this episode. You know, Before we get to that, I want to mention yeah. that the Atmos crisis happens. We so we have the Atmos problem, and before that, there's a uh, there's a great moment where Donna and Mom are in the kitchen trying to oh, sleep. Yes. They're on the floor, and they hear this singing from upstairs. <laughs> yes. And the Italian family is having a sing song, as they call it in England, up there. And Donna goes up to read them the riot act and tell them to to shut it. And then it turns out Wilf is participating in the sing song. <laughs> And yes. that leads to Donna and Mom participating in the sing song. And as they're doing it, the song they're now singing is an a cappella version of Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. <laughs> yes. Well, I like that the original song they were singing is an Irish uh, drinking song. Uh, and I spent all my money on whiskey and beer against right. 
I just like this Italian family is singing this. But yes, and then they sing Bohemian Rhapsody. Thunder and lightning, very, very frightening. Yeah, yeah easy come, easy go. I mean, wow, yeah, that's sort of what they have to what they're going through here. But this the sing along is uh is interrupted by they hear gunfire outside and they run run out and they see a soldier shooting his jeep trying to which is pouring out that thick exhaust which is the 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 atmos problem. Ironically, Britain isn't is not harmed by the atmos problem like they would have been because there's no gasoline to run to run the vehicles because of the crisis. But we find out that the Torchwood team, uh, including Captain Jack dies on the Santaran ship that was causing all of this, uh, stopping them. So, Except Captain Jack is beamed to the Santaran homeworld because he can't die. Right, right. That's true. Right. Meanwhile, as as Donna is out in a, in a park, Rose Tyler shows up again and explains, this is where we get the explanation. None of this was supposed to happen. Uh, Donna had saved the doctor at uh, you know from the Rachnus, uh, as incident in The Runaway Bride. And then she tells her the darkness is coming. And this is where we get to the planets are missing story arc that's been building up all season where the, you know, she tells her that there's a darkness spreading throughout all the universe, through all the parallel worlds, all the parallel universes where the stars are going out, planets are disappearing. Um, And she tells, you know, look to the sky. And Donna's the key to all this. And she tells Donna, you're going to die in three weeks. Right, right. Unfortunately, you have to die. (laughs) You know. But when you're ready, let me know. And yes, because Donna kind of rejects all this, as of course. But uh, but she says, yeah, uh, you know, uh, when you're ready, it'll be time. So then we get to the scene where Rocco and his family are being loaded into trucks by the soldiers, um, and the, you know under he's an, saying under under an England for the English policy, right? But what what he says is is oh you know we're you know we're we're going to a new place and oh very exciting we're very happy we're we're getting a we're you know. Um, and, but you see, and Donna doesn't realize at first what's going on, but then you see Rocco and Wilf exchange a look and Wilf is very upset and yeah, England for the English, because they can't send them home back to Italy because countries aren't taking anyone from England because they've all been devastated. And, uh, so they're being sent to labor camps, but he, but he and Wilf know that they're really death camps. And Wilf is like Wilf says labor camps. That's what they called them last time. And Donna says, "What do right. you mean?" And Wilf says, "It's happening again." Right, right, right. It, it, I, I, again, I love Bernard Cribbins as Wilf. He tears I, up. I mean, he's I, not he's, actively crying, but his eyes are yeah, moist and red. He, he does so well. I mean, this is this was the most affecting episode, part of the episode for me. Um, not just because Rocco reminds me of my family, but because. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just is this, this this amazing moment of Rocco as the dad who is trying to. It, it's almost remember that the life is beautiful. The movie of Vita yeah. Bella. I mean, mm-hmm. that sort of. Um, no matter what happens, I will. I'm going to stay strong for my family, and I just really like that part of this. And in the reverse angle shot, as they're being driven off in the truck, Rocco is huddling with his family, and you just see in his face and his eyes, he's starting to lose it. This is the yeah. first time. He's not been optimistic as he's had this look with Wilf. Right. He's letting the mask slip and he is starting to break down. Yep. Yep. The yeah, the emotional I think this is the emotional turning point of the of the episode, at least for me. Uh Donna goes back inside and she she sees her mom, Sylvia, there, and she's essentially like Sylvia is essentially catatonic. She's like descent descended into this catatonic state of depression. 
like almost like lost the will to live. I mean, this is just, mm-hmm. they are at the low point. And Donna in particular, and this has been building for a while, including yeah. in conversations with Rose, but Donna feels really, really useless. Yes. Rose has by this point told her, you're the most important woman in creation. Right. But she's like, I'm a temp. I'm nothing. I can't, I'm not even a temp anymore. I can't do anything. Right. She can't get a job. We, they, we've, we've heard about that. Like, there's no job for her. She's not qualified. Um, so we have a scene where Wilf and Donna are stargazing. And uh, as Wilf is looking into the sky, he's, he says he's seeing the stars go out and they're looking up. And it's, I can imagine what that would be like to look up into the night sky, which just seems so full of light, especially uh, mm-hmm. when you're away from the city. And to see parts of the sky go dark, that would be terrifying. My f- my first thought would be there are small objects in the sky occluding stars. Yes. And my would- second thought, if I realized it wasn't that they really were going out, my second thought would be, wow, a bunch of really coincidental events happened hundreds and thousands and millions of years ago because <laughs> yes. it's taken that long for the light to not reach us. Right. Well, yeah, that's that's the uh, part of the problem with this is um, is for them to go out in the sky. Those that light has been traveling for a long time. You wouldn't see it unless it happened thousands or hundreds or millions of years ago. Strangely coordinated to be viewable from Earth at this very moment. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they they turn and they see Rose is there. And well, th- at this point. Uh, Donna is so alarmed that yeah. she realizes this is the darkness that Rose had prophesied, and I have to do something to deal with this because we're all going to die, and she says, I'm ready. Yes. And that's when Rose reappears. Right, right, right. Uh, and so Rose takes her to this unit base uh, where, again, like you mentioned, they don't they don't know Rose's name, but we see the TARDIS is there. Yeah, it's, they've got the TARDIS. Yay. Yeah, It's dormant. Uh, but it's hooked up to a bunch of cables that are coming out the door, um, and they're able to use the TARDIS and a bunch of mirrors and some big plig lights to show Donna the beetle that's on her back and explain to her that it feeds off time by changing time, which sounds a lot like the Weeping yeah. Angels. I had the same note. It's similar, <laughs> kind of similar to the Weeping Angels, although they're actually not going to tie it to the Weeping Angels. They're going to tie it to something else in the Doctor Who mythos. So okay, that uh, well, let's get to that when we when we when we talks about it because I wasn't sure if that yeah. was something that preexists. So, uh, so Rose tells Donna again that she's special apart from the Time Beetle or the Doctor. That reality has always bent around her since the day she was born. So it's so her importance isn't just that she was attacked by the Time Beetle or that she's the Doctor's companion, but there's something important about her apart from all of that. That just even if she'd never met the Doctor. Um, which I, th- I think is very interesting. We, yeah. But do we ever get an understanding of what that is or why? Um, I, th- I don't remember. Well, I think it comes out. I think it comes out effectively in the two part finale. Okay. When we when we get to the Doctor Donna, that she is in some way his equal and was destined to be his equal, and and but there's also a huge cost involved. Okay. And so she has her like own destiny that's. In a way that, say, Martha and Rose don't. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll look forward to that. Again, I'm watching these years after having watched them the first time, and and I'm kind of wanting to experience them as they go like that, so I'm not kind of watching ahead. Uh, So the whole idea is they need to send Donna back in time again uh, to make herself turn left as she was supposed to 
instead of turn right like she did in the alternate timeline. And but they've, she got, has to do the, a, they've yeah. got the TARDIS, and she has to do it at a certain moment, obviously, because right. that's the moment she made the choice to go right instead of left. Right. But they, they've used, they don't have control of the TARDIS. What they say is the TARDIS technology is beyond us, but we've been able to scrape off some of the surface technology, and they figured out a way to get Donna back to the moment where she made the choice so she can convince herself not to. And she makes a quip about, oh, so I just need to have a really good argument with myself. And Rose <laughs> says, I'd love to see that. Yes. And I, I have in my notes that I there's really nice acting here for both Donna and Rose. Yep, They're both out of their comfort zones. Donna is having to deal with things without the doctor for the first time. And Rose is too. And also Rose is no longer in companion mode. Yes. You know, previously she's off on the big adventure with the doctor and now she's not. She's not having adventures with the doctor. She's trying to do her best to put things in place to save everybody, but she can't be the one to save everybody. It has to be Donna. Yeah. So she's playing the supportive role, which she's not, but active role. And that's very different than how we've seen Rose before. I also like how they've got lots of comedy interspersed to uh, in the dialogue and things uh, to lighten the mood amidst all this tension. Like there's a bit where they're getting Donna ready to do the time jump. And the unit commander is head is is you know saying okay so don't take off your your uh, backpack because it does this and don't do you know don't take off your wrist thing because it does this and hands her a glass of water and says this is to combat dehydration, (laughs) (laughs) which is just great. The one flaw I thought, and this is not just in this scene, but it's a little bit throughout the episode, is there's too much doctor worship going on about trying to oh the most wonderful man and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, enough of that. <laughs> right, right. At least it's not like a few episodes ago where he literally became space Jesus. Yes. Uh, or he will again. Uh, uh, or no, no, that was with the the master. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So some people might ask why the master hasn't shown up. Um, you know, the whole master crisis with Martha. Yeah. The only reason he didn't go to Utopia at the end of, you know, in, the, in Utopia to the end of time didn't activate right. the master, so the master never. Yeah. And the doctor didn't lock the TARDIS's controls back to, to where it could only go between 21st century London and Utopia, and so the master never came back through that route. Right, right. So the so there's no uh, no issue there. Uh, As so, Rose is being sent back, she's Donna. been under the impression that yeah. what you meant when you said I'm going to die is that uh, right. this timeline will never have happened and we'll all be fine. And right. And Rose won't answer her on that. And she starts to realize, I'm not going to survive this. Yes. In it's fact, not- Rose says the doctor's ta- this doctor's tagline. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. And, and I have in my notes is like, what an emotional roller coaster we're having here. I mean, we've had seen all the horrors. We've had the lightness of the Italian family. We've had the death camp. We've had the stars going out. We've had uh, Donna hitting bottom. We've had this is to combat dehydration. Mm-hmm. And now it's, I'm sorry, you're going to die. Right. And then wham, she's back in, She's back in the past. And of course, and they, she's in the wrong she's place. She's off target. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, she couldn't materialize right next to the car and you know solve everything really quickly. They're like, hey, you see me? I'm you. Yeah, don't go left. Don't go right. Go left. 
that would be a much simpler, but no, no, we have to have the more dramatic, of course. So she has to well, run. Well, they were using scraped TARDIS technology, and the TARDIS was never that reliable to begin with. Right, right. It's, it's a surprise that she got to the right moment in the first place. Um, but she has to run a half a mile in like three minutes. Like so, it's it's a, you know for someone who's not a runner, that's that's a big deal. Yeah. And um, she's she's not going to make it. And she but she sees this trash truck coming, and she realizes that if she jumps, her son, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, and I wasn't sure if it was trash, but it was some kind of lorry. Yeah, I think it was a, a garbage truck. Hmm. But she jumps in front of it and uh, gets Knowing hit by it. Knowing it will cause a traffic jam. Yes, that causes the traffic jam, which means d- the the Donna who's in the car says, well, I'm not go- the, not with that traffic jam. I'm not going that way. I'm going to go left and just drives off the other way. So as Donna is laying, the, the, the future Donna is laying on the ground dying, Rose comes up and has a two-word message for the doctor that she whispers in her ear. Yeah. She leans in and says, tell him this, two words, and then she whispers. Right. Which presumably means that this Donna doesn't actually die. Something about this Donna lives yeah. on in the Donna that's sitting in the fortune tellers. Right. So this is this is the Donna we've been tracking that the parallel universe has been built around. And now that she's convinced her past self to go the other way, the parallel universe unravels. And this Donna that's lived through the parallel universe now snaps back to, to the original timeline on the China planet. So presumably has memories of this yeah. alternate? But she says they're fading like a dream. Mm. And this is something that's wibbly-wobbly but comes up often in Doctor Who. When you hit time paradoxes like this, you often don't fully retain memories of what happened. Okay. So I'm now going to address the plot hole, which is if all it took was stopping the trash truck to cause a a backup to fix everything, Mm -hmm. couldn't they have just stopped the trash truck somehow without having to throw somebody? Like, couldn't Rose, who apparently is traveling all throughout time, she's at that moment. Could she not have gone there and stood in front of the truck and caused it to stop? Yeah, or couldn't Rose have just stood in front of Donna Noble's car and pointed left and refused to move to keep her from going right? <laughs> There's like a hundred different ways that this could have gone differently. So why? Yeah. Big now, plot hole, if, no story. If we're going to headcanon it, <laughs> yep. we, we could say the way the time beetle works is it del- it finds moments in the person's past where that person made a choice. And so the only way to undo the Time Beetles effects is to get that person to make a different choice. And okay. so it has to be Donna from the future to to get herself to choose differently. That okay. if Rose had just stood in front of the car and refused to let it go right, you know, something would have happened. The Time Beetles magic wouldn't have been undone. Maybe she would have just moved around her, or maybe that ro- moment would be inaccessible to Rose because it's Donna's choices that are determinative of this timeline. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I was saying. It had something to do with the Time Beetle, that that it was Donna who had the Time Beetle on her in the first yeah. place. But now that so, the choice has been unmade... Um, everything switches back. And we get a nice rewind montage of everything switching back, and the Time Beetle falls off her back in the fortune teller's room. And the fortune teller is totally freaked out. And this is a sinister fortune teller. She's apparently been aiding this time beetle for some reason as it messes with people's histories. But she's never seen this. And she says, you were so strong. What are you? Mm. What will you be? 
And that's a reference to the Dr. Donna coming up in the next story. Right, right. Uh, and then the doctor shows up, and he's kind of clueless about what's going on and what, what's important. And then he says that the beetle was part of the trickster's brigade. Now, yeah. you mentioned this is something that's part of Doctor Who canon already. So what's yes. the trickster's brigade? The trickster is a villain from the Sarah Jane adventures. Um, the trickster is, and I, I haven't, I haven't watched the Sarah Jane adventures thoroughly, but uh, the trickster is a recurring, I believe he's a recurring villain who messes with time. And so it's plausible and people's histories. And so it's plausible that he would have a beetle that does this. There's an episode called Whatever Happened to Sarah Jane Smith that I believe her history gets messed with. Okay. Okay. Um, so then he says that the the parallel, like we said, the parallel worlds being, Donna keeps having these parallel worlds created around her. It happened in the library. It happened here. And he kind of he's kind of like, what's going on with you? Why is that happening all over and over again? Yeah, he says um, it's too much to be coincidence. Personally, I didn't really buy this because there wasn't a parallel world really in uh, in not like this, where right. reality bent around Donna in Silence in the Library. She just got stuck in a simulation. Right. But the doctor is thinking there's something about you that's significant that's causing this to happen, and that's more foreshadowing for the Dr. Donna. And he notes that he he has met Donna and Wilf sort of by coincidence. More than separately, once. Separately, more than out once. Out of the whole universe. Right. That's So that, yeah, that's significant. Uh, and then Donna then remembers what Rose told her, and she says yeah. that— Oh, and he, he can only identify—the um, the doctor says, you know, well, what was this woman's name? And she says, I don't know. She never told me. What did she look like? She was blonde. And at <laughs> that moment, the doctor, know, knowing parallel worlds, blonde woman, significant to him, knows about him, he's starting to think Rose. Yeah. And at that point, Donna tells him the two words— Bad wolf. And so, of course, he knows it's Rose at this point because that's the blonde parallel universe woman that's bad wolf. Right. And they and he, he realizes this is a huge crisis. They run outside. And just like it in season one, the words bad wolf had been scattered throughout time. Now the words bad wolf are all over everything, including the TARDIS door. Right. And, it, you know, where it normally changed. says public call box. Um, it now says Bad Wolf over and over again. Right. And he runs into the TARDIS, and the control room is glowing red, and the and cloister the, bell. Yeah. yeah, the cloister bell is ringing. And then uh, the Donna, Donna asks, you know, what's going on? And he says, uh, it's the end of the universe. Yeah. Which, and that's that's how we end, so that to lead into the two-part finale. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, very effective ending if you've watched yes. New Who from the beginning. Yes. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed it. Really good episode. I, li I like the pace. I, I, and I like what you said. Uh, the they intersperse moments of humor, um, even dark humor a little bit, with the, the, the heaviness to kind of lighten it up a bit. One of my favorite bits is when Wilf's like, the Americans are going to save us. God bless America. Then a beat, and then the newscast. America is in mourning today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because 60 million people are dead. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I guess not. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. And of course, I always love when Wilf is, was, is around. Um, any last thoughts on this episode, Jimmy? 
No, I, I really enjoy it. I wish it was a little more accessible for first-time viewers, but if you have seen the show the, and you know the background episodes, it's very emotionally effective. Yes, yes. All right, so let's uh, wrap it up then. Uh, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Jose C., Daniel E., Seth, Philip G., and Ned G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. That's it from us. What did you think of uh, this episode, Turn Left? Uh, did you did you enjoy it? Uh, anything, any particular insights that you might have? We want to hear them. So go comment on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, Terror of the Zygons. Until then... Uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, Donna Noble, you're the most important woman in the whole of creation. Right. This is going to be fun.